we're going to continue our series uh, that we've been in the last few weeks entitled Core, where we're looking at key words that help define the culture and the place that we love here we call St. Peter. And so if you've been with us the last couple weeks, we've looked at things like community. That was week one. Last weekend, we looked at a word called boldness and how God calls us to be strong and courageous, just like Joshua in chapter, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And today, we're going to be developing and focusing on the theme, uh, joy. Now, uh, I can remember vividly the first moment where I realized that here at St. Peter, we had an emerging value of joy. Um, some of you are, are newer, others of you have been here for a, a good long while. Um, I don't remember exactly when this was, other than uh, that it was a number of years ago, and it was on Ash Wednesday, right? Ash Wednesday, if you don't know what that is, it's uh, a midweek service every year uh, that kicks off the season of Lent, okay? And Lent is the 40 days uh, before uh, Holy Week and Good Friday and ultimately Easter, okay? And on Ash Wednesday, just like maybe the name suggests, we have a custom, a lot of churches do this, where you make the sign of the cross in ashes on someone's forehead, okay? Uh, and so maybe you guys have done that before, maybe you haven't. It's not weird, although it's a little awkward to get in somebody's face, especially with masks, but um, this was before masks, I remember it, because I would, I would take my little bowl of ashes and I would dip my fingers in it, I would make the sign of the cross, and I would say these words, um, remember, you have come from dust, and to dust you will return. Right? Maybe you know those words. And, and the basic idea is to remind everyone of our mortality. You've come from dust. God made Adam out of dust of the earth. You return to dust. You decompose when you die, one way or another. Um, and it's kind of, just honestly, it's kind of like a downer, you would think, right? To be reminded that we are mortal and that one day we will return to the dust of the earth. And what it also reminds us of is, is our sinfulness, and the reason that we will one day die is because the wages of sin is death. And because sin entered the world, God uh, had to send his own son to suffer and to die and rise from the dead. That's why we make the sign of the cross, okay? So um, what I remember vividly, um, one Ash Wednesday, is I would go to make the sign of the cross. And, and when I would be done saying this somber, heavy thing about death and mortality, people would just smile and say, thank you. And I was like... That's weird. <laughs> I don't know if it's weird to you, but it was weird to me. I'm like, I did not expect thank you in a smile. I expected kind of like, yeah, I know, it's kind of a bummer. Like, this is a sad, somber season. But, but ever since then, uh, more often than not, people just, their face lights up and they say, thank you. And, and there was another vivid moment also during the season of Lent. I, I don't think it was that same first year when I first realized this. It, it may have been a little while later on. But it was on Maundy Thursday, okay? And Maundy Thursday is the Thursday of Holy Week when we remember that God uh, gave us communion, for example, Jesus and the disciples in the upper room, and then uh, that he said, a new commandment I give you that you should love one another, and he washed their feet. You guys remember that? John 13, washing feet. And he says, now, in the same way that I've served you, you should go and serve one another. That's the whole new commandment, the Maundy part of Maundy Thursday. But, but in our church, and in many churches, our custom on Maundy Thursday is to take everything off the altar to strip it of its paraments, that's the cloths that hang over it, to take away the candles and the cross and the books and the communion, everything that's there, and just leave it bare. 
And we do that every Monday, Thursday. And then uh, the pastors get super excited about this part. We tell you, we want you to leave in silence. And we think this is going to be a really cool moment, right? And everyone's going to go home and they're going to think about how serious it was that Jesus was going to go and suffer and die. And they're going to come back on Good Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, we'd be able to break our silence and celebrate that Jesus is alive and well and on the loose. So in, in our pastor minds, in any case, I'm not sure about normal people, but um, in our pastor minds, we think this is going to be awesome, and it's going to be so cool, and everyone's going to leave the sanctuary, and no one's going to say anything to anyone, okay? But then I noticed a number of years ago that as soon as people would leave the room, they would just start talking, and they would be hanging out, and they would be laughing, and I'm like, what's going on in people's minds, <laughs> right? Um, they just couldn't stay silent. They couldn't um, contain just the joy of being together, even on Maundy Thursday, right? Now, that may have coincided with when we started doing First Communion on Monday, Thursday, a few years ago, and there was cake and punch down the hallways, and so maybe cake and the punch sabotaged the silence. I don't know, but, but here's my point, is, is God is calling us uh, to be filled with this thing called joy. And, and when it fills us, it overflows, and it should spread all around to those who are near us. And joy, then, is one of the themes that we want to focus on and develop on and cultivate here. Now, some of you may be thinking, I know what joy is. I'm happy all the time, right? Joy, I got that one covered. But I want to make a distinction, just to get started, between uh, joy uh, and happiness, between joy and happiness. And to do that, I want to share with you something I found on this blog from Compassion. It used to be called Compassion International, but it looks like they changed their branding a little bit. But you may know what they are. It's a child sponsorship organization. does a lot of good all throughout the world, uh, helping people who are under-resourced get support. And they, they have this blog, and the title is, What's the Difference Between Joy and Happiness? Okay? So... Um, they wrote it better than I could come up with, so I'm just going to read for you some of the distinctions that they make here. So, um, joy is a little word. Happiness is a bigger word. We're starting simple, <laughs> right? Joy is in the heart. Happiness is on the face. Joy is of the soul happiness is of the moment, right? And you get the point right there. Like sometimes you can be happy and then all of a sudden something happens and it's like it's gone, right? And you go from happy to sad, right? Um, it, happiness is an emotion and it's often rooted in joy, but sometimes it's just um, fleeting. Uh, joy transcends. That is to say, it's, it's not necessarily controlled by circumstances, Happiness reacts. Joy embraces peace and contentment waiting to be discovered. Um, joy runs deep and overflows while happiness hugs hello. Now, to be honest, I don't know exactly what they mean right there, but I think what they're, they're talking about is maybe it's fleeting and uh, it's in the moment. I don't know what hugging hello means, but we'll just keep going on. Uh, joy is a practice and a behavior. 
We're going to come back to that, talking about cultivating and pursuing joy. It's deliberate and intentional. Happiness comes and goes blithely along its way. Joy is profound and scriptural. Don't worry. Rejoice. We're going to hear more about that. Happiness is a balm. Uh, You remember the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Great song, right? Um, But it's more of a surface-level emotion. Joy is an inner inner feeling. Happiness is an outward expression. Joy endures hardship and trials and connects with meaning and purpose. And here's this last one. I like this a lot. A person pursues happiness but chooses joy. A person pursues happiness, um, not a bad thing, but chooses joy. And so it's a conscious decision. It's a mindset. It's a frame of view for your whole of life that allows you to persist even when circumstances change or when life gets challenging. It's why I think Paul lists joy as one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Uh, I love this graphic here. Uh, It's from Propel Church down in Arizona. They've got a super cool logo and a cool graphic, and they're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Love, joy. I like how it's big in this little fruit. Uh, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's interesting. Love comes first because the greatest of these is love, Paul says elsewhere, and then joy comes second. It's something that God wants to develop in us. He wants to see welling up and out through us and then to spread to everyone we know and meet. So here's how we're going to try to tackle it today. Joy means we're always celebrating something. And because we know that everything we have comes from God and has been given to us for our good, we can find ways to celebrate at all times. In fact, as God's people, we should always be celebrating something, right? We can make that as a conscious decision, a deliberate act, and we do And I love how we do it here at St. Peter. We're going to do that in God's sightings a little bit later today. You can do that in passing conversations. You can do that over meals with family and friends and those that you're just beginning to meet. We celebrate big things, small things, ordinary things, and special things. And by intentionally celebrating, we remind ourselves and others of the goodness of God, and we spread joy to others. Okay, So that's what we're going to try to accomplish today. And to start, I want to take you back and kind of root our understanding of this biblical idea of joy in some passages from the Old Testament, especially the book of Psalms. I love the Psalms. Uh, They're fantastic. It's like the prayer book of believers. Uh, And and oftentimes we see them elevating this notion of joy. So let me show you a few places, right? Here's one to get started. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with harp with the harp and the sound of singing, we could add in their drums and guitars and bass guitar too, right? They just didn't have them in quite the same way back then. With trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn, shout, before the, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. So again and again and again, God's Word invites us to this posture, this deliberate choice of joy, and it's supposed to express itself in particular through what we say and what we sing. Here's another one, Psalm 30. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. That's a good one. Say that last part in bold with me again. Weeping may last for the night, 
but joy comes with the morning. When I was young, my mom used to always teach me and my brothers and sisters, um, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, right? That's a, it's a, a great word. Uh, I think it's in the Bible somewhere too, so it's worth remembering. But what she was trying to teach us was not to dwell on and hold on to brokenness and anger and bitterness and resentment. And, and here's why. I, it took me a while to learn this, but I think I figured it out. When I do that, when I go to bed and I'm still angry, I have a miserable night's sleep. Have you ever noticed that? Like I just wake up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about it, I'm worried about it, and for some reason in the middle of the night, you just like get up to go to the bathroom or get a drink or water or whatever, and then you just can't sleep and your mind is just playing that loop again and again and again and again and again. So I think it's, it's wise and it's practical to, to, if you're able, seek out whoever it is maybe that has hurt you or wherever there's brokenness in a given relationship, and do whatever you can before you go to bed to try to resolve that issue. So that maybe then when you go to bed, you can say, I've done what I can. I can now lay down to rest and maybe you'll actually get some rest and some better sleep. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. A good word. Uh, What I've also discovered to be true, though, is sometimes, even if I've done that and even if I've thought about it and prayed about it, um, there's something cleansing about a good night's sleep and then waking up in the morning that refreshes my perspective on life. Have you noticed that? Where I can go to bed, and maybe I'm still a little bit unsettled, but, but there's something about waking up and, and hearing the birds. I love that. Or seeing the sunrise um, and, and the day begin. And weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. What I think God's trying to get across to us here is a couple things. Number one, our lives are still going to be messy, even if we choose joy. We'll still face trouble and heartache. We'll have broken relationships. We'll need to work on pursuing and mending them to the best of our ability. Life is not going to be easy. God never says it's going to be a cakewalk. He does say it'll be filled with joy and with purpose and with amazing things. But it'll sometimes come with weeping and sorrow, frustration. And he says, in the morning, every time you see the sunrise, you can be reminded that God's faithfulness transcends everything that life may throw your way. And, and though sorrow may last for a night, joy, it comes with a morning. Because his anger may last for a moment, but his favor for a lifetime. All right, let's keep going. Here's what he says later on in that same psalm, verse 30, chapter 30, verse 11 and 12. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever, right? You see that same theme of life gets messy, it will get hard, but God will clothe us and fill us with this thing called joy. Here's another example of when life got hard for God's people and how God worked in that moment. This is from the Old Testament book, Nehemiah. And if you don't know much about Nehemiah, Nehemiah and Ezra and a few others were responsible for helping rebuild the city of Jerusalem after it had been destroyed and the temple too. And And Nehemiah got super discouraged a number of times along the way because the work was hard. And there were enemies that were working against them, and the people were giving up. And and one thing that they had lost sight of along the way was the Word of God. And they had um, just forgotten it. And they had gotten out of the habit of reading it and studying it and, and using it in worship. And so they rediscovered God's Word, and it wrecked the people. And here's what Nehemiah had to say to them in that moment where they're just wrecked 
realizing what they had forgotten and lost along the way. It says this, And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said this to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. Now, before I continue, just one quick comment. Some of you may say, like, eat the fat? That doesn't sound good at all. Like, you cut the fat off of your steak. Well, first of all, that's a bad idea because fat is delicious, right? So uh, just get over that, and it's actually good. God made it that way. But the point here, uh, just kidding. You can do whatever you want when you eat your meat. The point here is that the fat was seen as the best part of the meat. And, and the fattest portions, think of like a well-marbled steak. That's the idea, is, is it has the most flavor. So that, that's what's intended here. And uh, for all of you Moscato and Riesling drinkers, sweet wine, okay, I'd rather have something dry. But anyway, moving on. Okay, here's what he goes on to say. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. All right, that's a great word. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I think this is the first place it's used in the Bible. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it is. But it's a theme that's repeated in other places. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people down, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions, that would be to other people who just didn't have stuff, they just took care of everybody, and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Okay, here's what I want you to pull out of this. Uh, we can have joy even in the midst of difficult times in life because God is faithful throughout all generations. We also can discover joy uh, when we return to and make full use of God's word. When we ground ourselves in the truth of what God declares to be true, when we fill our hearts and minds with his word, when we return to his word, just like in Nehemiah's day, that's what they were doing, what we will find is his promises and his truth, it'll start to establish a steady baseline that's easier for us to build a solid life and foundation on, okay? So returning to God's word, holding on to it is a key part of it. Let me, let me show you how that plays out here in Psalm 19. Uh, this is four statements about God's word or the law, the statutes, the precepts and commands, synonyms for all the same thing, what God reveals about himself and about us to be true. The law of the Lord is perfect and it refreshes the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. If you want to choose joy, if you want to have it fill and then overflow from you, you cannot skip the important step of grounding yourself and returning to God's word from which it comes and through which it works. Right? And then here's how God sees it playing out. Psalm 118, the Lord is my strength and my song has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. I just had to include this one because I like that verse. Right? It gives us the picture that, that as God's people, we should be celebrating so much so that it just fills our house, our home. Maybe you have a tent. I don't know. Probably not. Probably you have a home. Right? Wherever you live, it should just fill that and it should spread. And the people around you should start to take notice that something's different in your heart and in your life and in your home because the joy of the Lord is your strength and it just fills and saturates all that you say and do. Right, here's the song we would sing. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. 
All right, one more stop here in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 126, our mouths were filled with laughter, right? Happiness uh, is the outward expression sometimes of joy, right? It's not all of it because it's an emotion that can quickly fade, but it, but it often expresses itself in laughter and joy. Our songs, our tongues are filled with songs of joy. Then notice this, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Here's the thing, God wants joy to saturate our hearts and minds, to fill us up to overflowing so that as people take notice of the way we live, it will draw them back to him. It was said among the nations, and in this context, that means the people who are far from Jesus. So think about the people you know who are close to you but far from Jesus, friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members, children, grandchildren, maybe who have wandered a bit from following Jesus. God says he wants the joy that overflows from you to be so attractive to them that it just draws them back to him and say, wait, something's different about you, and I want to know a thing or two about why you can be filled with such joy. All right, so, so this is what we've learned from the Old Testament. This joy of the Lord, it comes from God because of his work in our lives. It's rooted and established in God's word so that we can always return to that and draw from it. And it's intended to overflow through, through song and laughter, through, through the way that we live and celebrate anything and everything that we possibly can. It's meant to be infectious in the good way, right? Spreading uh, far and wide, okay? Now, now Paul then... Uh, gives us some really practical steps for how we can actually do this on a regular basis. He starts by saying this, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's another key step in choosing joy. Is, is taking advantage of the invitation to pray, right? What can we do? We can, we can remember God's faithfulness. We can return to God's word, but we can also cast all of our anxieties on him, First Peter, because he cares for us. Um, God invites us to take the things that are burdening us and to hand them over to him so that he can handle them for us. Do not be anxious about anything. What's your answer to anxiety is constantly praying. Um, rejoice always, he says elsewhere. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word peace there, by the way, is is the same as the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness and perfection. God's fullness making all things complete. And, and God's desire is that he would enter into all the broken places, all, all the messed up moments in our lives, and he would redeem and restore them and then fill us to overflowing with his goodness and his peace, his wholeness, which leads to joy. And sometimes it doesn't make sense how God works right? His peace transcends, it supersedes, uh, it surpasses all understanding, but it will fill and it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul then goes on to say this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, now he's going to go through a list, 
right, just in case you haven't noticed, right? And it's kind of like the fruits of the Spirit we saw earlier, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those ones. These are like virtues that we can use as like a filter to decide what are we going to take into our lives. Remember Jesus once said, it's not what comes, or not what goes into your mouth that makes a man unclean, but what comes out of you, because he knows that welling up in the heart and out of the heart is our character and the virtues that he wants to see. And so he says, fill yourselves with these good things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I just noticed my typo, but work with me, okay? Use a filter on what you allow into your hearts and minds because what settles down deep will begin to overflow. Paul says, uh, if you just put this filter up and only allow those things through, then what you'll find is joy will take root and overflow more easily. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul goes on to say, practice these things. Elsewhere he says, 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. How do we pursue a posture of joy? Uh, we surround ourselves with people who are joyful. Right? Some of you probably have some people in and around you who are um, downers. Right? I don't want to say Debbie Downer because our neighbor Debbie is here and she's not a downer. But, um, <laughs> right? uh, but you have some people like that who just steal joy and exhaust you. Do you know who I'm talking about? You can maybe think of a few who just uh, deplete you emotionally and even physically. Um, don't abandon them. I'm not saying that. But make sure that they are balanced out by people who also know the joy of the Lord and can fill you and, and uplift you so that when you go into those places where there's uh, a depleting moment, you have something to give, okay? Um, because they also need the joy of the Lord, and it may be through you that they receive it, but you can't uh, receive what you haven't been given. And so if you surround yourself by godly women and men who will fill you, your joy bucket, you might say, then you'll have something to give. Paul says this, what you have learned and heard and seen in me, uh, as someone who has embodied this uh, joy, put that into practice. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And the God of peace, that shalom we were talking about, will be with you. And Paul says, just look at my track record and you'll see why I'm someone worth imitating. I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what is that secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Friends, as you root yourself in God's word, as you devote yourself to it, as you allow it to shape the way you think and act in the world, as you, as you allow his joy to fill to overflowing your life, as you celebrate intentionally and often, as you invite others into your celebration, it will begin to spread. And what you will discover is what you've always known to be true is that in and through all of these things, God does what God only can do. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And God will and, and he will delight to work in and through you to bring joy to everyone you meet. Paul then lands it here. And here's why I want to close my thoughts today. Kind of a final blessing from this passage in Philippians. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To God, our God, and Father, be glory forever 
and ever. Amen. Amen.